absolutely love figure drawing. It's it's one of my passions. Like if I ever stop drawing, like if I don't feel like doing personal work and I want to get back into my personal work, figure drawing is such a good foundation to get started quicker to get back on your feet, you know? And that's what, you know, figure drawing has done for me. Welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising black, indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I'm Raymond Dozalanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamoto Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Catherine Nguyen. She is an Asian American artist working as a storyboard revisionist at Disney TV in California. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Yeah, I was born in San Jose and I went to San Jose State as an animation major. And my hobbies include taking care of my 20 plants and skateboarding and playing ping pong. Oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> Do you play with your like family right now? I guess it's we're all in the pandemic. I play with my boyfriend and my good friend, Eric Omega. We play like almost every weekend. It's so addicting. Have you guys Aww. played ping pong before? No, I'm terrible at it. I, I, <laughs> I, I tried. I'm also, I'm also pretty bad. <laughs> oh, no. Man. Yeah, ping pong is pretty hard. Like you kind of have to like hit really lightly, but also very effectively. Yeah, mm. I totally get why it's hard. So much fun. <laughs> it's like tennis, but a mini tennis. So the way we like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices, and then you have to choose in between the two of them, and then let us know why. Okay, cool. So first question, would you rather live in the cul-de-sac from Harvard Girls Forever or the cul-de-sac from Ed, Ed, and Eddie? Oh, oh God. You know what? Honestly, I would live in the cul-de-sac in Harvard Girls Forever. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> as much as I love Ed, Ed, and Eddie, I'd probably feel, <laughs> it'd probably be, I don't know, like, more ice cream. I like ice cream because in Harvey, girls forever, they eat ice cream a lot. So, I love ice cream. <laughs> oh, that was hard. That was a hard question. Oh, man. Okay. Let's do this. <laughs> oh, God. what I have to work for the candy. She's like, oh, they get ice cream, like, all the time. Let's they go got there. ice cream, guys. Like, uh. Yeah, that's pretty fair, because when I was thinking about it, too, I was like, if you did live on the cul-de-sac with Ed, Ed, and Eddie, there's just going to be so much of their shenanigans that you have to put up with all their know, schemes to, like, get like... to get job breakers. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like, like it. it. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it would just hang around to be like, I wonder what's going to happen today. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, my God, I wonder what Eddie is going to say today. Like, honestly. <laughs> but, yeah, it's true, man. I love Ed and Nitty though. Like it's such a funny show, but mm. Harvey Girls Forever, they have like ice cream and such witty and quirky conversations. I would probably have a, a much <laughs> better time with the Harvey Girls. Slightly more wholesome there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Man. Oh, Excellent. that was a hard question. <laughs> that was the intention. <laughs> glad we oh, could man. glad we could stump you. <laughs> <laughs> On the first question. Oh God. Okay, what's next? Would you rather eat at Gusto's from Ratatouille or Dragon Warrior's Noodles and Tofu from Kung Fu Panda? Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Oh shit. Uh, <laughs> I would choose, you know, honestly, I gotta give it up for Kung Fu Panda. Like, I, I can't yeah. turn down a small Chinese small business like family restaurant you know what i mean like family their run, food homemade, yeah like yeah. their food is amazing even mm-hmm. if you go to like a five-star expensive ass restaurant <laughs> you know the establish for some reason but you can go <laughs> to pose restaurant and kung fu panda and make it affordable and it's also delicious i would totally go there for sure yeah i stand by my answer <laughs> for sure for sure no, it's not a choice. I think I would have chose the same. I like nice family-owned restaurants as well. It's homey. It's homey. You want that yeah, homey. It, it, is, it is homey. Homey family, like, get-down dinner, yes, and lunch. Mm-hmm. It's affordable. I think I would go alone just to, like, taste the broth. Oh, heck yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just give me the broth, man. <laughs> just put it in a bowl. <laughs> I don't need water or anything. I might go to Gusto's if it's, like, paid for. 
<laughs> I'm like, oh, so I won't be able to eat here ever in my life. I'll oh, go. that is so true. Oh my god, you have a good point. <laughs> Yuki's really bougie. You, you're ending up here. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's a good. That's a good answer, though. Because yeah, just because it's a once in a lifetime thing. Yeah, maybe, huh? Yeah, that was a good question. That was a really good yeah. question. Yeah, good answers. <laughs> no, yeah, very, very solid answers. So yeah, oh, that was man. in between. Hopefully, you had a lot of fun playing with us. Yes, it made me less <laughs> nervous. <laughs> okay. So, Kat. How did you actually land your upcoming position as a storyboard revisionist for Moon Girl and the Devil Dinosaur? So I have my good friends, Eric Omega and Tara Johnson. I recently finished Netflix and then I just told them, oh, um, I'm actually looking for another job. But it was like a casual conversation. And then they just asked like, oh, like, do you want me to ask, you know, Disney TV? If they're like, I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Why not? Like, it's if they do have something that'll be cool if they don't it's totally fine too i was thinking of mm. taking a break anyways and then they asked you know they asked around they know a lot of people at disney tv and moon girl ended up uh needing a storyboard revisionist and they knew the storyboard supervising director named ben and he was looking at a lot of portfolios and when he looked at mine he he was like okay like you know i really like her work this is what i'm looking for and I was really surprised. Like, I I did not see that coming. Like, I, because Disney TV is a really hard place to get into. And, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. when Ben looked at my work, he said, you know, I love how versatile you are. I love how you're really loose and your comics actually really make me laugh. And I was like, whoa, that's awesome. Like, I'm, I, I'm really glad that, that you like my portfolio. And we were having like an interview process. He was like interviewing like, 20 30 people or something it was crazy wow and i was like okay i'm probably not gonna get it but it's okay it's fine let's make a conversation <laughs> uh that, that was just what was happening in my head and then during the interview process i was just you know i was just myself and we were just having a good conversation and not only talking about the show but also talking about you know just random stuff like seeing if we clicked personally i think this what landed me the job is when i told him the story <laughs> which is a, it's a true story at netflix where I was a revisionist as well. And then I got bumped up to a storyboard artist. But when I was a revisionist, there was a brief time where one of the supervising directors on Inside Job had to take a leave because his wife gave birth. So he had to tend to her for like a month or so. And Mm -hmm. they needed someone to take over, like someone that they can storyboard the last episode of uh, Inside Job. And then they contacted me. And I was really surprised. I'm like, are you sure? Like, I'm a revisionist. And, but they chose me for a reason. They chose me because I was very reliable. I know what I was doing and I was doing really great work. I'm assuming. I don't know why they mm-hmm. asked me, but. I'm sure that's all true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that's all true. I think if they, like, they didn't trust you to do it, they might have, like, freelanced it out to somebody, like, really experienced. But usually they'll, they'll trust right. you. If they didn't think you could do the job, they wouldn't have even mentioned you. So the fact that they did, they, they were confident enough in your abilities to get it done. Right. Yeah. So I got recommended, you know, by my directors and they gave me a raise and asked if I wanted to, you know, take over for like a month or so. And, you know, I thought about it and I was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, (laughs) and mind you, like Inside Job was a really, it's a pretty hectic show and it was very ambitious. It was also, but it was also very fun. Like it, like, don't get me wrong. I loved how, how hard the work was. Because it was challenging me as an artist. And when they asked me, I accepted it. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then, you know, I tried my best and I did what I had to do. And then when I told Ben that story, you know, he wasn't as surprised because, you know, these these things happen all the time in the animation industry Mm. where revisionists do a lot of storyboard work in a very ambitious show. And that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. And um, when I told him that experience, that story, he liked that I told him. And because that was the kind of artist that he was looking for, he wanted a revisionist that can also board just in case we needed someone to, you know, Mm -hmm. like just do that work. And I think I recommend any revisionist or anyone who wants to do storyboard work to take that opportunity to push yourself. Because I think as a revisionist, I think it's like a great opportunity to 
grow as a board artist. And if anyone's giving you the opportunity, I would immediately take it because if someone is looking for a storyboard artist, you can tell them that story because you're willing to like do the hard work. You're willing to grow. And that's what everyone's looking for in a show. Someone who's like very passionate in what they do. And that's what I told Ben. And then I think that's what like hooked on the offer. And, you know, after our interview, he was like, you know what, I'm just going to look through the interview process. And, you know, I still have other interviewers to go through. And I was like, yeah, of course, you know, like, let me know if you need someone who can be on your show. And uh, <laughs> so that's what he did. And then a couple of weeks later, he contacted me back and he said, you know what, I, I really want you on our team. And he, <laughs> he contacted me really early because I think he wanted to like lock it down. Like, I guess so no one can take me. <laughs> like if another show hit me <laughs> yeah. up, he was like, I want you to start, you know, this, this, this. And, and that's, you know, that's pretty much how I landed. Like the interview process and the experiences and my portfolio. It's really awesome. Yeah. Thanks. That's really cool. And then the two friends that you mentioned earlier, did you work with them in the past before on a different production or they were just friends that you already knew in the industry? Both. Like I, I met Eric first through my boyfriend and Eric got me into inside job. He recommended me and we were coworkers at the time. And then eventually that's how we ended up just staying really close friends. Mm-hmm. Nice. And you can attest to this, cat when we told all throughout schools how small the industry really is and how mm-hmm. the people next to you could be the ones helping you get the next job or the people that you work with yeah. could also help you get the next job. And it's like, it holds very, very true. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Like, I definitely recommend, like, just gaining those connections, but not only, like, like trying to gain connections, but, you know, also connect with them and just be nice and be cool and just really easy to work with because I think what most artists or even most people that work in animation, even if you're not an artist, what they think about is like, would I like to work with this person? Like, would I be comfortable working with this person? Can I see this person at 2 a.m. at work and feel comfortable and feel like I can depend on them? And that's, <laughs> that's the real 2 question. 2 a.m., oh my God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't do that, guys. Don't well, I don't know. Like, I don't, don't, generally don't stay tough to me, you know, <laughs> to work on your, to work on your storyboard. Anyways, my boyfriend tells me all the time too, because he works in the, in the industry for more than like 10 years. And he, wow. al- yeah, he always tells me like, it's really mostly like, are you really an easy person to get along with and a really cool person to like work with? And that goes to without saying, though, like, you should do the work. Your work should be super, like, up there, you know. It should be there because mm-hmm. you can be a really good, easy to easy person to hang out with or work with, but your work also has to be really, really good, too. Yeah, if the quality of work isn't there, then it's like a balance between, between the two. Because the same could be said if, like, you can also have super amazing work, but if you're a terrible person to work with and no one likes being around you, then yeah. no one's going to want to work with you, no matter yeah. how good you are. Exactly. There's like an unspoken rule, this triangle rule that you should keep in mind, which is my friend Eric told me this, by the way. It's like one is like, are you the type of artist who is easy to get along with, will turn work on time and whose work is, you know, really good. That's the three triangle. Some people like can work in the animation industry just having two things, which is really good work and really easy to get along with. Mm -hmm. Some people get hired for turning work on time and being really good, but also not really great to work with. But, you know, it's like mm-hmm. there's so many different artists and so many different shows that need types of different types of artists. But generally, those three types, that triangle type, being on time, easy to work with, and like producing good work is generally the three things you should keep in mind at all times when mm-hmm. it comes to working in the animation industry. No, I've heard, I've heard about that rule too, but yeah, I think, I think that holds true. Yeah, like everyone talks about that triangle rule. How was your experience as a production intern at DreamWorks TV? During your internship, you got to be on both Spirit Writing Free mm-hmm. and Harvey Street Kids, which was then renamed to Harvey Girls Forever. Oh, it was amazing. Like ugh, as an intern, I, I was having such a good time. I met so many great people who helped me as an artist as well and an a production person and just as a person in general. And at the time, like everyone was just so nice. And I get to like meet not only 
you know, production people who can like get me a job, but also just artists who will give me advice about growing as an artist. So to have that kind of support in terms of not only being in the animation industry, but also being an artist was very helpful. And it was such, mm. I loved being an intern at DreamWorks. And then was this during the school semester or during the summer? Because like being on two productions, how, how did that work with splitting your time? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, like they had to switch me sometimes. Sometimes like I would go to every street kids like oh like do you guys need any help and then sometimes they would say no and then I would just go back to spirit and then they would be like yeah we have Mm. some help for you and um I remember it was like Mondays Wednesdays and Fridays I would be at Harvey Street Kids and then spirit writing fee I'd be on Tuesdays and Thursdays and then next week it would switch and then that's how Mm. I had to like multitask and talk to both productions at the same time yeah that's how we coordinated it pretty much and yeah like during the internship it was during the school semester. Oh my god! Wow, yeah. That's actually okay. Okay, because if correct me if I'm wrong, because my knowledge or my uh my I thought my understanding of like internship during semesters it's like it tends to be part time where you're only there like two days out of the week versus summer when you tend to be there the whole week. Did DreamWorks do something different that year, or, or is that something special to like? you and maybe a couple other interns that selection year? Well, for me at school, I had to talk to my professors and email them back and forth on what the assignments were. And the deadlines were the same, but I still had to do homework after my internship at DreamWorks. For DreamWorks, it's still like a part-time job. I can't really like do much about that. Like I can't tell them, oh, I have school because, you know, I had to like, you know, I had to commit because this is a job, like this is a pre-job. And luckily I was just very fortunate to have professors who understand San Jose State and just give me assignments and deadlines and just things that I have to do to pass my classes. So like after my internship, like after work, I just did homework and then I had to like just turn it in and stuff. So <laughs> I don't know how I did it. Like I'm thinking about it, I'm just like, whoa, like that's so stressful. What did I do or <laughs> eat to like get that shit like done? I can only imagine. Yeah, that sounds hard. Uh, Was there anything or something that you learned about being on a production that you maybe weren't aware of beforehand? Because this was your first time being in uh, animation production. Yeah. So like you, we learn about it in school. Like, right. you know, we, we know bits and pieces. We have guest presenters that tell us about like the pipeline, but working in the actual pipeline as a, as a production intern, was there something that you learned about animation production that you maybe weren't aware of before you started? Yeah. Like, I mean, not only the programs that they used at the time, because the animation industry changes all the time and they use different mm-hmm. programs. And I wish I knew like shotgun and stuff and <laughs> oh, God. shotgun. Yeah. Using shotgun now. Yeah. It's great, but a lot. <laughs> it's so much information. Like, I know, like, I'm not sure if San Jose State has shotgun yet, but that's mm. the one thing I should, I, I wish I learned before my internship because sh- learning shotgun would have been so much easier on the job in terms of like technical terms. I think in general, like mentality terms, because learning in my internship, I learned how to just communicate a bit better. San Jose State has a lot of opportunities for us to learn how to communicate on the job. But during my internship, I learned so much more through like emails and how to sound very professional in a much more in-depth way. Learning that during my internship was such a big plus, especially towards like recruiters and professionals and just people in general. Yeah, from the sounds of it, it looks like you picked up maybe more of the nuances of soft skills. Yeah, while, yeah. while interning. Yeah. So something that I think is actually pretty interesting that I kind of want to make more aware to like our audience members yeah. uh, is that before you actually got your first industry storyboarding opportunity, your first industry job out of school was being a production assistant at DreamWorks and you were back on Harvey Girls Forever. Yeah. Uh, what advice would you give to those that get their start in production, but mm-hmm. want to transition into an art role? Because not everybody uh, gets the opportunity to start in the industry doing like in our position, like storyboarding or character design. Sometimes a lot of people's way into the industry is starting as a production assistant um, at a studio. Man, whoever's listening to this right now, I commend you for still wanting to be an artist, even though you're doing so much work in production. Y'all are the MVPs. Like I 
gotta say, like, it's so much work. And sometimes there are times where I gotta admit, like, I kind of considered just staying in production and not, you know, being an artist because it was just so much energy and I was so tired. But if you still want to be an artist, my only advice is to never give up and to just work your ass off because there's so many people who support you on this. And although it may seem like it'll never happen sometimes, <laughs> like sometimes you feel kind of hopeless, don't be because there's there's so many people out there who's willing to help you. I would just say keep working hard, keep posting on your Instagram because people are noticing like right now they're noticing you like doing production and drawing. That's so hard. And that's something to be recognized and acknowledged because when I was in production, I was so tired. I was so exhausted after work, but then I sucked it up. And right after work, I stayed in the building and just brought out my Cintiq or my tablet and I worked like I did animation studies. I did figure drawings. I did the work, you know, and just for like two to three hours and it can sound really tiring. And I was tired. I got to admit, but just push through it, like do what you have to do to regain that energy. Like I had to exercise. Exercising Mm -hmm. is such a good resource for like mindset, for productivity and to just regaining that energy to continue to practice being an artist because, you know, this is your dream. People in iDreamers, they would always tell me, like, this is your time. Like, you're about to get an artist job, you know, and I needed that support. I never took that for granted. I noticed that all the time. And that really helped me ne- to never give up. So whoever's listening to this, I hope this helps push you even further. Because I want to support your dream to be an artist, even if you are in production. That's really all I could say. No, I think sometimes moral support can go a long way. A lot of the times, especially when you face some self-doubt. Yeah, like in production, like you have so many things to do and you kind of feel, you feel taken for granted too. Like, because in production, there's so many things, people you have to talk to and people to impress and just people, mm-hmm. you just got to get shit done, right? But that moral support will really help you like keep going because there's really no secret recipe because doing the work will help you so much like two to three hours per day for a week or even for a month would make a big difference on your progress and being an artist during your time when you were also working on your own stuff did you also try to seek mentorship or advice from story artists that were on the crew that you were being a production assistant on yeah absolutely like i I would always talk to my artists all the time in production. I was always take the opportunity to talk to them about my future too. And I don't know how much I can emphasize. Like I was so happy that I received the kind of support that I needed during that time. I was really fortunate. I felt really lucky to have the kind of artists, especially on like Harvey Street Kids. Like I, I got to give like a big shout out to all the artists it's like Peter Emmerich and Kristen and like Sophie and David DePascal and like everyone there. Like y'all know who you are. Like you guys helped me so <laughs> much. Like they were such great supporters and that really gave me a big push and motivated me to become an artist because they believed in me and I had to believe in myself. Being surrounded by positivity and people who support you all the time, it's so much more effective in being an artist in the future. Totally. Yeah, I think like, Mm -hmm. I mean, many of us artist types are very like imposter syndrome. Like I'm (laughs) I'm not, you know, I'm not good enough, etc. It's easy to get caught in that voice on the inside without so much support from the outside, right? Like everybody is rooting for you. Like you say, Kat, I totally agree. Like nobody is here to bring anybody else down. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds kind of like corny, (laughs) but like, you know, just hearing it from the outside, just hearing support or like advice from another person who is doing the job that you want to do like it really goes so far yeah like as an artist I feel like imposter syndrome is such a common thing and it'll never end like I gotta tell you it's it's never gonna end (laughs) but the good news is we're really fortunate to be surrounded by a really great community the animation community compared to like live action and like other departments like our animation community is so awesome like we're so fortunate to be surrounded by people who will support you and who will give you opportunities and then uh speaking of opportunity your first 
in-house story opportunity was when you became a storyboard revisionist at mm-hmm. Toei Animation, which mm-hmm. honestly, I didn't know even Toei had like an American <laughs> studio. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were working on the Monkey Prince. How was that experience for you working for Toei, being a storyboard revisionist, but also transitioning from production to story? It was, it was difficult. Because feature is a different game. Like I met some wonderful people. It's a small team, but I didn't regret it. Nonetheless, like I worked with some amazing people, especially people from Japan, which was great. Like, although I do uh, appreciate my time there, but honestly, I took it as a grain of salt mostly. Like there were some things that I experienced that weren't really great, but you know, like every production is different. Like there's going to be some pros and cons. And some of mm-hmm. the cons on Monkey Prince kind of outweighed the positives for me. Mm. But like I said, like each production is different. Everyone's different. And sometimes some productions are just not for you. Like every experience, I always take it as a grain of salt. Like everything I learned from it, good or bad experience, I always learn something from it. So I learned a lot from Toei Animation. I learned that despite like the disagreements, despite... You know, some things that you see in animation, I still get to gain a lot of good experiences. Like, I still gain a lot of good connections. I learned a lot in feature. Mm-hmm. That's all I could say. Mm-hmm. It was it mm-hmm. was okay, but I wasn't fully happy there. And mm-hmm. it's okay if you're not fully happy in a production. Yeah, I think that's really important. Like, at the end of the day, it's a job. And I think some people come into the industry, they're like, oh, it's going to be perfect. I'm going to love it all the time. And it's like, no, sometimes (laughs) you just do jobs because you need to eat. (laughs) Yeah, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to get that experience in and that's okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you want to quit, you can quit, too. Like if if you're not fully happy, you can always quit. And there is there's going to be jobs out there. There's always Mm -hmm. jobs in animation right now, especially right now. Take every experience as a grain of salt, no matter what. Even if you're unhappy, like still make the best out of it. Still become that best artist that you told yourself you can be. Despite rude people, despite the bad experiences, you still have yourself and supporters. So push through. Mm-hmm. I think that's a lovely way of putting it, taking it with the grain of salt. Because like on my production, honestly, I really love it. I think the production I'm on is really perfect. But even mm. some of my coworkers have said like, oh my God, I never been on a production this good. And they've told me about like, bad production experiences that they had. <laughs> and so this yeah. is like, Again, working on Gremlins, working at Red Bears, it's like my first industry job. And it's like my first kind of like experience in mm. production and seeing it. So I'm just like, my head is like, oh shit, what if my next production isn't as good? And I experience the bad <laughs> productions that other people have told me about. So like, what if this is just like my height? And then from there, it's like, uh. If it happens, it happens. Like, I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be too worried. I feel like you're in a really great spot right now. Like, you're with like people who have already gone through it. And mm-hmm. All they can do is like treat everyone better and treat the production better and learn from it and then just make the best out of it. I think you're such in a good place. I love the people on your show, the Gremlins show. Like everyone is so supportive. You're such in a, you're, you're in such a good spot. Very fortunate. I love how you're in a really good spot because it's such a great start as an artist. If your next production is bad, then, you know, it is what it is. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, it's all about who you are. You know, I feel like you're generally a very positive person, right? Like, I feel like you're such, you always find the good in things. That's such a good trait, you know? And like counting all the good and positive things that happen to you is such a good, like, way to keep pushing through at your job. And I feel like you can get any job. You're like, your work is really good, right? Like, I, and you're a really good person to work with too. Uh, thanks, Kat. I appreciate all all these kind of words, but <laughs> enough about me. <laughs> well, let's, let's get back to you. This, this this podcast isn't to interview me, uh, but no, I, I no, I truly, truly appreciate it. And again, I think you're wonderful as well. Something that I actually kind of want to touch on is that after Monkey Prince, Stupid Buddy Studios actually reached out to you. Yeah, which is unusual since well you haven't worked with the studio before how did that opportunity come about they just contacted me out of like random i'm not sure who recommended me because that stupid buddy it's always about recommendations and then he just randomly reached out and they said hey like micro mayhem is looking for a storyboard artist would you like would you be interested i'll be like heck yeah let's do it i love stupid buddy (laughs) everyone there is so chill everyone there is so goofy and i met some of my close friends there and we even have like a group chat still on facebook and we talk about random things all the time that's awesome that's how i go about it i just got contacted randomly and i mean this is what happens when you keep going you know when you keep 
doing the work, people are noticing you and people will always notice mm-hmm. you if you produce good work and they'll remember you and eventually contact you for a job. And that's that's just what they did. They just randomly contacted me. I love Stupid Buddy. I love that studio. I would come back. Yeah, it seems like that has been your career trajectory as well since your start at Toei Animation. It seems like you've had consistent flow of story work since then. Like how how does it feel working with these different studios like Netflix when you're on inside mm-hmm. jobs and then freelancing for studios like Nickelodeon and Titmouse and jumping from like one job to the next. Cause again, this is also a very nomadic industry. You're never going to mm-hmm. be at one studio your whole life. So for you experiencing that, yeah, jumping from studio to studio, how, how has that been? To be honest, in the beginning, it was hard. I struggled. Like I didn't know this was a common thing. I wish I was told that because in my mindset, I was like, okay, once I land a job, I have to stay here for a long time. I changed my mindset and, you know, I got a lot of supporters who told me like, this is the this is the way it is, you know, like sometimes you're going to have freelance jobs. Sometimes you're going to have full-time jobs that last for like a year or two. And sometimes they only need you for like a month. Like it's just the way it is. And it'll be hard at first, but eventually you're going to like get used to it. Eventually, like even now, like I've already gotten used to it and I feel okay now. And I'm just like, oh, it's just a job. Like it's, it's another job that I can possibly do like if there's a freelance gig. Well, yeah, sure. If there's another gig, like, like, yeah, I'll take it. You know, like I take every experience like with a grain of salt. Like I, I want to gain as much experience as possible. And that's, Mm. this is what happens in the animation industry. And, you know, if you ever feel down, like, oh my God, am I ever going to get a job? I still feel this sometimes. (laughs) I still feel this way sometimes. (laughs) Like when I'm done with a show, I'm just like, oh God, like I'm panicking. I'm I'm so stressed out. Like, am I going to get another job? Yes. The answer is yes. You will get another Mm. job. And even if you don't get another animation gig right away, it's okay to not have an animation gig right away. Or if you just want to do something that you love for a, a short period of time, you know, do it. Like, feed your soul a little bit. Because animation jobs, you know, they come and go and they will contact you if they need someone. And once they you do, like, take it. There's going to be experiences, like different experiences. Yeah. And then things that you've, you've experienced, it seems like you've had balanced back and forth between revisionist positions and storyboard artist positions. Mm-hmm. In your experience, is that pretty common for someone, especially you, someone still in their early stages of their career, to bounce back and forth? Uh, Yeah. Well, just based on my experiences, I think it's pretty common. And I hear it around from my coworkers and from my artists and friends. They bounce around sometimes. I've even heard like like directors even going down to like storyboard artists because they miss drawing despite, you know, the down payment where your income goes lower. But they they love storyboarding and, you know, it really all depends on who you are. Like if you want to be a become a storyboard artist, you're going to have to get used to kind of bouncing back and forth with revisionists, storyboard artists sometimes because each production is different. Sometimes they contact you and need someone to fill in this job late in the game, like late in the show when it's almost over and you don't have time to like move up. But then, you know, they'll find you another show where they need storyboard artists. So, you know, in an inside job, I was a storyboard artist. And then I went back to being a revisionist at Disney TV. And that's totally fine because I can just move my way up. That's good. That's good. Because like, because I've also heard like that sometimes when a storyboard artist does kind of go down to revision is sometimes it's because like burnout and burnout can also be very real especially in in such a demanding job like storyboarding so for me it makes me happy to hear that it's not because of burnt out for you it's just you're just taking the opportunities to keep learning and growing yourself yeah like i wouldn't even think of it that way like if you're like a board artist and you go down to like revisionist i wouldn't think that as a negative thing i would think of it as like another opportunity to learn because like sometimes there are jobs where you're like a board artist, right? Where you're doing revisionist work for some reason. There are other times where you're a revisionist, but you're doing storyboard work. Mm. It's like learning both is so helpful depending on the situation because anything could happen. They might need you for a board artist, but they make you do revisionist work <laughs> or they make you <laughs> become a revisionist and you just do both work. And then being prepared mm. for both of them is makes it easier on this chaotic journey. <laughs> Yeah. And what makes me more reliable too, right? Being, oh, yeah. Uh, flexible within the production. Yeah, you know, wherever for sure. Wherever we need you. Yeah. Like also my values are different too. Like I, I like growing as an artist and I take, I learn everything, you know, like even if I go down as a revisionist, there's always still so many things to learn. Mm. And I also value just the people around me too. I think more 
than whether I grow as an artist or not, because that's, I think that's my happiness a little bit, like being surrounded by really great people. Every experience is a great one, no matter what happens. And, you know, if you want to grow as a director, then find a production that will help you foster that. No, it's very well put. So to kind of backtrack, kind of back to your college years, mm. while you were at San Jose State University, you were the figure model coordinator for the Second <laughs> Headman Club for a year. Yeah. The figure model coordinator for our audience that may not know is part of like, yeah, the animation club on campus. But the mm. figure model coordinator runs figure drawing sessions three times a week at a low cost uh, so students can get some extra mileage outside of class. Mm-hmm. Looking at stuff that you just post on social media, whether on Instagram or LinkedIn, you still do a lot of figure drawing. Uh, yeah. Can you tell, can you talk about your experience being a figure model coordinator and has that influenced your career at all? Mm. Oh yeah, definitely. Figure drawing was my shit. Like I <laughs> <laughs> can love figure drawing. Like my experiences as, as a figure model coordinator, it was hard work. Like you, you know this, like this is, it was. <laughs> yeah, I also did that for a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I loved every minute of it. I loved every pain and sweat that I put through <laughs> as a figure model coordinator. I loved figure drawing. I freaking love like drawing naked people. <laughs> like it was hard. It was so hard balancing figure model coordinator and like doing production stuff for Shrek and Headman, but also like finishing my homework. God, it was such hard work. And all I drank was like milk, tea, and wine, and all this junk in my body. <laughs> like, I <laughs> it was hard to balance. Like, I remember like at 2 a.m., I was still doing homework. But then mm-hmm. I was like, I was living with Shannon at the time. And I was like, oh, you want to get some wine at 2 a.m. at 7 Eleven? And she was like, yeah, sure, why not? And then we would always do that. Almost every night. And I don't do that, kids. Don't ever do that. Like, I don't know why. Oh my God. I I don't know how I'm alive. I should be dead right now. (laughs) Like, just drinking all that wine and coffee and just, anyways, like, it was hard. I'm just surprised you would go to 7 Eleven for wine when we would do like a late night 7 Eleven run from the art building. It's like, oh, hey, let's go get some coffee at 7 Eleven. Never in my mind, or never has, maybe it was just you and and Shannon, but no one has ever asked, like, hey, you want to go to 7 Eleven and get some wine? Well, they probably went back, like, home. They probably didn't go back onto campus. No, 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 no. We just went back home and drank our wine. And I even bought my own bottle. That's how, like, bad I was. Like, I had, like, Shannon, like, when I tell Shannon, let's get some wine, it means I'm going to get my own wine bottle and you get your own wine bottle. (laughs) And that's, I I know, I don't know why we did that, but it made us feel like we can let go when we draw. That's why, like... Mm -hmm stressful to work so hard yeah it was really stressful but it was also fun like i had my best memories there like it's all about the people that surround you like that really make it worth it because even though Mm. you're eating all this shit and you're like staying up late and doing all this artwork the people really helped you like you know stand on your ground and keep going and that's that's that was really hard being figure model coordinator just doing that but I still did a lot of figure drawing and I, I think I did one like every session. Like it was like two, three times yeah. per week. Right. And oh my mm-hmm. God, like my art skills went way up during my officership. And mm-hmm. I never take that for granted because it's so hard to find the time to do personal work when you're an officer. Being a figure modeling coordinator gave me like a required excuse to draw. So it was hard, but I loved every experience every minute of it i never take anything about that for granted i remember that you you did that actually because that's part of the reason why we got elected for these positions so i i ran the next year and i just thought it was very like admirable that like whenever i would go to the sessions like you'd be drawing and i was like oh like do you have to you know as <laughs> you don't have to <laughs> you don't have to like cat did like every session i would go and be like wow like she's really going for it i need to let go so i i like <laughs> yeah i was like that's inspiring for me i i wanted to do oh, that and you. like you know like you said i mean it's you basically have to sit there for the three hours so yeah. like why not do some drawing you know why not improve yourself (laughs) i had to let go of so much energy and why not do it through figure drawing yeah it was no i'm I'm glad that inspired you if anyone who's running for office figure model coordinator is awesome like it's hard work but hey do it 
Yeah, I love it. You you get to like draw a lot, like all the time. Yeah, you draw a lot, get coordination skills as in like uh, you communicate with all of the models. Yeah. Like some some soft skills start to develop there. Oh, yeah. heck yeah. Mm-hmm. Communicating and scheduling, all that production stuff. That's what people do in real life in production at DreamWorks or mm-hmm. like anywhere else in the animation industry. It's really good for like the job. Like if you want a real animation job, like I think being figure model coordinator really helped me foster that journey to go get an animation job. And you still keep up with your figure drawing. Like your figure drawings are amazing. Like I love it. What every time you oh, post like some you. drawings. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Like I cannot emphasize how much figure drawing is so important, even outside of school. Like once you graduate, continue to do figure drawing and I absolutely love figure drawing. It's it's one of my passions. Like if I ever stop drawing, like if I don't feel like doing personal work and I want to get back into my personal work, figure drawing is such a good foundation to get started quicker to get back on your feet, you know? And that's what, you know, figure drawing has done for me. Always hear from like animation professionals how crucial figure drawing is. And mm-hmm. They always do figure drawing together, even outside of work, too. And I would say, like, keep doing it, like, keep doing figure drawing. It's so important. Something that is also important is, like, the stories that we get to tell. And when it comes to your stories, what stories do you like to tell? And does does your background as a Vietnamese American play a role in that? So far, I've been doing stories about my boyfriend and slapping his ass and all that. (laughs) 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 And like picking his nose. And those are all true, by the way, guys. Like I do it all the time, every day. (laughs) I'm like, why are you with me? Like, (laughs) his answer is always the same. He's just like, I don't know. (laughs) And it's so, it's so funny. Like I do comics about him all the time. And he's like, can you stop doing comics about me? And I'm like, no. I'm never gonna tell. like I'm sorry like so that's what I'm drawing so far and also my experiences with my friends and my roommates at the time and just people the experiences the people I surround myself with for in terms of my my ethnicity I'm starting to do that I'm starting to do more stories that relate to my heritage and my culture and I should get on them <laughs> like there's some comics that are there's <laughs> No, you don't have. It's not like, hey, are you contributing to the, you know, <laughs> the greatness of Asian American culture? But I mean, that's not really what the question is about. It's, you know. Right. Do you feel like the, the culture influences you or not? Like, right. I mean, do you lean more like on the American side? That kind of thing. I mean, like, what's the definition of culture anyways, as being an Asian American? Just it's experiences and it could be anything because it's America and we're very diverse. I do have a lot of comics, though, that are unfinished in terms of, like, speaking about my culture and my heritage. Comics, for me, it's a little bit difficult because uh, I kind of have to go inward and, like, kind of dig up some of my past and just, you know, just draw it out. And I guess that's kind of a general difficult thing in terms of drawing. Like, when you're getting your feelings out there and you're just putting your feelings on paper or your drawings and your art a little bit difficult because it's kind of like therapy for me like when you do mm-hmm. self-work or when you're growing it's going to be hard because it's going to be painful and that's what it is for my comics it's getting easier though like my personal comics it's getting easier and it's easier for me to make funny comics just because I always fuck around and I'm always I never take anything seriously when I'm hanging out with people <laughs> so you know there's always ha- something happening and there's always interesting things but in terms of like personal stuff it's like unpacking you know it's like therapy for me so Mm -hmm. that's why it's Mm -hmm. a little bit difficult but you know i'm finishing it and it's getting easier and my vietnamese american culture and experiences were not only great but it was also it was hard like of all Mm -hmm. those asian american attacks lately and all the stories that you've been hearing it's all true like so many minorities and asian americans like it's, it's, it was hard to unpack and putting that down on your comics it's a little bit difficult especially you know if you've been through a lot a lot of racist attacks or you know just racism in general and but yeah it's it's getting there i'm almost done and even if it takes like a while it's okay just take your time you know that's mm-hmm. that's what's so great about the animation community like even if you're not producing a lot of 
artwork and you just post like once in a while, people will still support you. You know, just take your time. And actually, if you're a student, like don't take your time. <laughs> like during the student <laughs> stage, please work hard. Please keep producing art, even if you don't feel like it, because being a student during that time is so crucial. It's just right now, like now that I'm an industry professional, <laughs> now I can rest a little bit and uh, just take my time um, and produce, you know, the things that I want. But, you know, if you're still a student, please keep producing comics, even if it hurts. Just like <laughs> keep doing it <laughs> as much as possible. <laughs> what am I? Oh, oh my, my God, God. I'm such a bad like influencer. Like even if it hurts. Just eat the pain, <laughs> smell the pain. I don't care. No, no, no. Take care of yourself. Take care of your health. But even if it doesn't feel like it, like keep going. Like keep doing it. And yeah. but be healthy. Like when people hear, like, oh, just keep going. Like even if it hurts, you know. Like don't pull an all nighter. Don't like drink wine at two a.m. Like what the fuck? <laughs> like. <laughs> Take care of your body, take care of yourself and keep producing good work. And I think the way you're also trying to put it is that while you're still a student and while you're not working full time, take the opportunity to produce as much art as you can. Because when Mm. you are in the industry, you're just so drained from working that sometimes (laughs) you don't have the energy to draw for yourself. So take the time as a student to draw for yourself and to produce content. Oh, yeah. Like being a student, it's the best opportunity to do your own work. And that's when you just just go crazy because when you get to the real world, it's you're going to struggle a little bit in the beginning to find that balance between personal work and work because it just, like Ray is right, it does take a lot out of your energy. And even I'm still mm-hmm. learning, like even starting the industry, I'm still learning how to balance that out and mm-hmm. seeing what I like and what I don't like, what works, what doesn't work. And do what you can as a student right now, like produce as much work as you can and take care of your body too. Cause that's when your work becomes good quality is if you take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we talked a lot about your current career and your early stages of your career, but what about future career aspirations for yourself in the industry? I've always wanted to be a director one day and produce really good, good work. I've always wanted to be a director and that's, that's my goal. And Maybe in like the far future, because right now I'm working on a personal pitch too. And, you know, everyone's working on their pitches and it takes like time. It takes like maybe a few years to like develop a really good pitch. And that's what I'm working on. And that's also one of my goals is to at least attempt to pitch something, even if it doesn't get approved. I want to just have that. I want to have that leap of faith, you know, like, yeah, just do it. You know, at least I did it one time and then I could just keep going and keep doing it. And then who knows, maybe I will get my own show. Who else? Like, who knows? Maybe I will get my own movie, but that's my number one goal is to submit something, just anything, Mm -hmm. a good pitch that based on my personal experiences and something good that will help other kids. Those are my two goals. Yeah, that's great. No, that's very admirable. And I think like, yeah, just putting yourself out there to pitch, even whether or not it gets picked up, just putting yourself in that position. And I think I see you doing amazing things. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I try my best to work really hard still, even after school. People talk about being an artist and the dream, but these things take time. And if you keep going, mm-hmm. so many good things will happen. So many good experiences mm-hmm. will open up for you. Doing pitches is like anything else, you know, like it takes practice. Might not get it on the first one. Yeah. You pitch again at yeah. like many other studios. Yeah, and that's like, okay. It's like enjoying the process. You got to enjoy the process. Mm-hmm. So Kat, any final advice that you would give to those that want to pursue a career in the animation industry? Take care of your body and your mind first. Because if you want to make it, I would say that's how your art starts. Like the mindset and your health. Because you can't draw anything if you're dead. Because you want to job, right? You want to produce good work. The core thing is to take care of yourself, take care of your body, your mind. And that's when good work will be like produced. Another advice is always be surrounded by people who support you, but also be surrounded by people who like are not afraid to tell you how it is. At least I wish I told this advice to myself as a college Mm. student. Because I used to be afraid of criticism a lot. And I used to be like, just cry, baby. <laughs> I was a fucking cry, baby. But it is what it is, right? Animation is really hard. It is. It's not baby business. They're not going to accept babies or cry babies. <laughs> <laughs> like, be also be surrounded by people who will give you constructive criticism. 
And Mm -hmm. don't be afraid of that criticism because they want what's best for you. They want you to succeed. And I love being surrounded by criticism now, like constructive criticism and people who are willing to give you like honest reviews. I love that. I love people who are honest and who also support you too. And being surrounded by people like that. Oh man, it, it gives you so much improvement and it gives you so much good, <laughs> good vibes, good vibes only. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Like it really makes a difference when you're surrounded by people who love you and who also like give you good criticism, good advice. Because that's when you grow. You can't like live in a comfortable like state in this industry. You got to be okay with being uncomfortable because that's when you'll grow. Growing is not comfortable. Get used to it. (laughs) It took me a while, but I'm okay with being uncomfortable. I'm okay with anything harsh, really. Like, tell me how it is. I want to grow. I love that. I love that pain. Learn to love the pain. It's another advice. <laughs> Not physical pain where you're drinking wine at 3 a.m. and you're like, <laughs> like all you're drinking is like it's coffee and wine. wine. <laughs> I always bring that up. Don't ever drink wine, kids. Yeah, that's like mostly the advice. Like love the pain. Love the pain of like criticism. Love the pain of growing. Love the pain of like getting there because just enjoy it, man. It's a good journey. Like we're, we're in a good place. There's always going to be supporters who will support you and will also help you grow. Very well put. Yeah, good advice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can our audience find you? And is there anything else you want to plug at this time? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. My Instagram is curiouscat underscore art. You can also find me uh, this new app called Artfall. And mm-hmm. it's just Cat Nguyen. Just my short name and my last name. If you want to check out my portfolio, just go to katherinenguyen.myportfolio.com. I would really suggest that too. Like look at all the professionals portfolios, like don't compare to your like classmates compared to the people who have already made it, you know? Mm-hmm. For sure. I'm not going to lie. When I was like working out on my resume and stuff, I looked at, yeah. at, at Catherine's portfolio. Oh, right. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I looked at yours and a couple other people's as reference and like it was very well structured. Oh, I'll just, thank I'll you. Say that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that's really thank you. I looked at your guys' portfolio too. It's really good. It's it's good reference. Like people have already made it to the industry. Look at their portfolio. It makes life so much easier. <laughs> awesome. Well, if you enjoyed our interview with Kat today, please rate us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Straight Ahead AP, and let us know your response to today's in between questions. Or if you have any suggestions for future in between questions. Contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us. We love discovering new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. Kat actually reached out to us herself and we love that proactiveness. So if you want to suggest yourself, please do so. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening. And thank you once again to our guest who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye.